Good morning, Christchurch. Welcome as we continue our series on A Man After God's Heart, looking at the life of David from the book of Samuel. You might have noticed over the last few weeks that David's life has taken an interesting trajectory. He started off as this shepherd boy, um, tending the sheep in the fields, and over the series of um, the whole book of 1 Samuel, we see that David reaches the point of anointed king of Israel. And then, as you may have remembered from a couple of weeks ago, when Owen spoke to us, we saw that David's life was up here, and then it took a nosedive as he was disobedient to his call as a king. The, end, the events unfolded in a fashion which, really from any perspective, was tragic as he decided to sleep with another man's wife. And then when he finds out that he's gotten this man's wife pregnant, he seeks to kill this man, Uriah. And in succeeding to do so, he tries to then cover up his own sin again by making Bathsheba his wife. And we see that the consequences of this are evident. And God sends his prophet, Nathan, to condemn David and to bring him to a point of repentance. Today's message is entitled, Dealing with Family. And if you know anything about the next part of this story, then you'll know that David um, is a guy who's got family issues. And we're, we're going from chapters 13 to 20 of 2 Samuel today. And we're going to be looking at the tragic story of how David's family's issues unfolded. I think it's also fair to say that we have some um, brotherly feuds in our family already, but nothing compared to, uh, to David's sons. Hi, don't bite his bottom. So... Obviously, there's seven chapters here. I'm not going to read all seven chapters because that will take a very long time. But for those of you who are not familiar with the story, I'm just going to try and give a stripped-down um, version of events. I don't know how many of you like to watch TV dramas or soaps. Uh, they're not personally my cup of tea. Um, but these next few chapters, or these next seven chapters, are a bit like... Um, a biblical version of an EastEnders episode. You may be feeling like lockdown has been really difficult for you um, as a family. You may be feeling like um, things have really got intensified in terms of dealing with situations. Kids, you may be getting fed up and annoyed with your parents, and I'm sure that the opposite is probably true as well but I hope that none of you have um, gone through the same kind of events as David did with his family. Now, these next chapters should really be given an 18 certificate, so I'm going to try my best to keep everything as clean and as family-friendly as possible. Um, thank you, Matthew, the Matthews family, for doing such a great job with the video. Um, there's also some stuff that happened before Absalom's rebellion, which um, I think will be helpful just to go over um, 
to help us to understand the situation. So I'm just going to go into that now. So we pick up in chapter 13 where we're introduced some more, to some more of David's family. So first of all, we have the beautiful virgin Tamar, who is David's daughter. We have Amnon, who is David's eldest son from a different wife. And we also have Absalom, who is, uh, who is Tamar's brother. And the story begins with Amnon, David's eldest son, who is said to have unnatural feelings for his own sister. Amnon decides to devise a cunning plan with his crafty cousin to attempt to satisfy these unnatural urges. So Amnon invites Tamar, Tamar into his bedroom under false pretenses and forces her to share his bed with him. After abusing her physically, he then emotionally abuses her as he sends her away in shame. This must have been so devastating for the young virgin, Tamar. Such a heartbreaking situation. David hears about what's happened to his daughter. He gets cross about it, but he decides to do nothing about the situation. Absalom, Tamar's brother, on the other hand, decides to take the matters into his own hands, devising a cunning plan to lure Amnon into a trap where he is to take his revenge. Meanwhile, David mourns over the death of his eldest son, but again chooses to do nothing about the sin, which in this case was committed by Absalom. Then over subsequent years, uh, Absalom is invited back to live near David, where he's kept at arm's length. Then, as we saw from the video, Absalom now has another cunning plan as he's fed up with being ignored by his father and king, and he decides to spend his time um, winning the hearts of the people of Israel. And having manipulated the hearts of Israel, Absalom seeks to overthrow his father's kingdom. David when he hears about this, gets scared and flees from Jerusalem along with his servants and army, giving Absalom what he wanted. And David is left without a kingdom, without a home, and without resources to provide for his people. And then Absalom no sooner gets settled in the palace when he decides to share his bed with all of David's concubines uh, in the full view of the people. And seeing as that's clearly not enough of an insult to his dad, um, he also decides that his father is too great a risk and seeks to track him down and kill him. Finally, as we saw in that video, Absalom ends up being killed in what is a rather comical fashion, um, being caught in an oak tree. I don't know why it matters what kind of tree he was caught in, but he was caught by his hair in an oak tree and he was killed by Joab, and you know the rest of the story. What a mess. But I do believe that we can learn from this mess. I believe that we can learn from David's mistakes. And I also believe that we can learn from the things that David did do well too. So let's take a closer look at a couple of things that are going on in this story. 
first of all, the repercussions of sin. The first thing to recognize here is that David's sin had repercussions which left him open to manipulation. Starting with Amnon. Amnon would have been quite aware of David's business with both Bathsheba and Uriah. He would have known that David was distraught over his own wrong actions. And knowing that, David manipulates him by asking his father to allow him um, to make Tamar vulnerable to Amnon's requests. Because let's face it, that's exactly what David did to Bathsheba. He took what he wanted without concern for other people. So David succumbs to Amnon's plans, um, and in doing so, he not only paves the way for Amnon to do something incredibly shameful, but he also neglects his responsibility of protecting his own daughter from his praying son. So that's Amnon. Then we come to Absalom, who also manipulates David. Absalom, in his rage towards his brother Amnon, would have been also quite aware of David's conspiracy to kill Uriah. So Absalom goes to David, asking to meet with Amnon and the rest of his brothers in private. And we see in verse 26 of chapter 13 um, that David was suspicious of Absalom's intentions, but decided to resist or was unable to resist. But knowing full well that he himself was guilty of murder, he left himself open to manipulation. And the consequence of that was that he lost his eldest son, Amnon, to Absalom. Next, we see that David fails to discipline through most likely guilt or fear of hypocrisy, David allows himself to be manipulated, even though he knows that God has already forgiven him from that previous sin with Bathsheba and Uriah. He turns a blind eye when his duty as a father and king should have been discipline. The consequence of David's lack of responsibility is, claim, is, is clear and plain for us all to see in these chapters. His lack of discipline leaves him subject to the consequences of his own sin, manipulated, homeless, hungry, unable to, perform, to provide and perform his duties as father and king. Who knows how these events would have turned out if David had just disciplined his sons well. Okay, so what? What can we learn from this devastating part of David's life? If we were to learn anything from this, this would be my suggestion. Three things. Firstly, the consequence of sin, discipline, and trust. And I'm just going to spend a little bit of time now focusing on each of these three areas. Firstly, the consequences of sin. Our actions have consequences, even in the light of repentance and forgiveness. Now, I don't want you to hear what I'm not saying here. We know that Jesus has taken our sin to the cross and dealt with it for all eternity. Because when we, when we, um, when we repent, he is faithful to forgive. Forgive. 
But what I'm saying is this. David repented of his sin against Bathsheba and Uriah to God. But the consequences and repercussions of that sin are open for us all to see. Nathan's prophecy over David in chapter 12, saying that the sword shall never depart from your house, David, is unfolding in the aftermath of David's sin. Why? Because children follow the example of their parents. They adopt the example of their parents. And that's just a fact of life, actually, whether it's learning to walk or to talk um, or any other learned behaviors. That's just a fact of life. And likewise, followers adopt the example of those in leadership. Here's an everyday example of how our kids copy us in our household. Now, bedtimes, or bedtimes for our children, is a rather eventful time each evening in our household. Um, And each night they have this habit of taking this lovely box of mega blocks and deciding to empty it all over the floor whilst chucking various objects at us. Um, (laughs) It's really hard to concentrate when you're having blocks thrown at your head by your wife. now, the other day when, when they did this, I thought I'd do a little experiment because I was in the middle of, not literally in the middle of writing this preach, but it was in the time that I'd been preparing. And um, so I decided just to do a little experiment and see how quickly they would copy me. And so this is a mess, it really is. Um, so I decided to pick up one block at a time and without saying anything to my boys, just, put, just keep adding blocks into the, into the box. And it's probably about seven-eighths full, okay? So it wasn't looking good at this point. And I hadn't said anything to the boys, and it got to about seven-eighths full, and I looked around, and they started putting blocks into the box. And it just goes to show, doesn't it, that you... I mean, obviously, it's good to teach your children how to do things and when to do things, but actually, they do copy um, us when we do things. And so it's important to know that our example, um, even in the things that we do without teaching them, is really important. Although good leadership and parenting are really important, that's not to say that each one of us are responsible for our own actions. Of course we are. Followers are responsible for their own actions and will have to bear consequences just as much as those who lead will. David David's family is a good example of this. David's sins were repeated by his sons, and his sons bore the consequences just as much as David did. Here's an example. If I spend my, t- my time at home ranting and gossiping about other people in my life, my children are going to think that that's acceptable behavior and copy me. If I lie to my wife and my children, they will learn to copy that and think that it's okay. If I neglect to read God's word, they will learn from my example. On the other hand, if I treat my family and those around me with love and respect that God has given, 
if I'm passionate about God and prioritizing him throughout the week, if I'm quick to say sorry to people, and that includes my children, it's okay to say sorry to your children when you get things wrong. In fact, I would encourage it. Um, then they will likewise learn by that example. The way that we act, especially in a leadership and parental capacity, will bear fruit of its own kind. Those words from the, um, the prophet Micah that we will never forget as the last words that came from Paul Tack as he brought them to us as a church. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. And that should be the testimony of our lives. Ultimately, Jesus is the example of how we are to live our lives as he lived it when he was on the earth. Jesus is the example that we strive towards. And he graciously not only shows us how to act, but he gives us everything that we need in order to be obedient to that. Let's not underestimate the power of sin. David's sin was obvious in some areas, but actually in other areas it was less obvious. All sin is destructive. Being unwilling to seek reconciliation with another man, especially if that's a brother or sister in Christ, is divisive and destructive, even if we don't realize it at the time. And it will prevent us from living in the good of all that God has for us. Likewise, gossiping, although it seems like a um, relatively trivial sin, actually is divisive and it's destructive to the people of God and to the family of God. Are we serious about sin? Jesus certainly was serious about sin as he hung on that cross for every one of ours. Parents, are we aware of the example that we set our children? Will they grow up believing that spending time with our faces in our phones is more important than spending time with our faces in our Bibles? David's sin had repercussions, and our sin also has repercussions. The dysfunctionality of David's family was in part a consequence of his own actions and his sin and his lack of discipline and unforgiveness. Okay, so moving on to our second part, discipline. You may remember that David didn't discipline his son's actions. Now, I'm certainly not suggesting that Jenny and I are perfect parents. We often get things wrong. But so often nowadays, parents are encouraged not to discipline their children properly. But instead, they're encouraged to use distracting techniques to persuade them to do something else um, or make excuses for them because of the situation or that's just how they are. Teachers as well have their hands tied, metaphorically, of course, um, and are unable to bring adequate discipline when students step out of line. And it's no surprise 
that in the West, authority is questioned at every turn. Can I say that that is not a biblical way to discipline children? Our children may try and convince us that we don't need to discipline them. But I think it's fair to say that from David's example, a lack of discipline is a massive downfall. And in David's case, it is his major downfall in this part of the story. The way we discipline our children should be grounded in the immovable word of God, not in what culture dictates. This is what we read in the book of Proverbs. Whoever loves their children will be careful to discipline them. In Hebrews we read that God disciplines his children so that we may share in his holiness. And the same is true as we discipline our children, that they would share in that same holiness. And then shortly after, in Hebrews 12:11, it says that no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained in it. That's such an encouragement, isn't it? And here's one for you kids, if you're listening at home. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and you may enjoy a long life on earth. I've always wondered whether the reason for that is because if you don't do it, your parents might strangle you. Um, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. The Bible is full of examples um, and instructions on how and why we should discipline, both for children in obedience and parents for how we lead our children. Let's not neglect to do what is right. Let's not neglect to do what God has commanded us to do. God disciplines and instructs us in love, and so too we should our children. And then thirdly, we move on to trust. It's really really easy to focus on what David did wrong in the story because um, it seems more obvious, but it's also important to look at what he did well. Firstly, David clearly recognized that his actions had consequences. He was vigilant of his own sin and often quick to repent. Secondly, David trusted in the sovereignty of God. And this is the big one, that he trusted in the sovereignty of God, even when it didn't suit his own plans and preferences. We see that on a number of occasions, especially when David flees from Absalom. He decides that it is right to send the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. And he does this because he trusts God's judgment on the situation. If it was God who was overthrowing the throne to Absalom, then so be it. He trusted that God would deliver him if that was his will. Thirdly, he was also merciful to his son Absalom. Even after Absalom tried to kill David, he still loved his son and he sought reconciliation with him. 
David showed love to his enemy. And in the same way, that's just such a great picture of what God does for us and to us. Actually, we are all bound in sin and we were all bound in sin and dead in sin. But whilst we were still sinners, God showed his love to us. Christ died as an ultimate expression of his love to us, even when we were in rebellion with him. So to finish, I think it's easy for us to um, look at someone else's life, to think that they may be falling short in this area or that area, or um, obviously someone else's sin can seem more apparent when you're looking at it from um, from an outside perspective, but actually this message is for you to be um, thinking about for yourself, and I have been doing this for myself as well. Let's not be people who are looking to other people's sin, but actually being vigilant um, in looking to our own sin and how God wants to help us to move on from that and repent from that. We are all in need of God's grace and forgiveness. We're all in need of his spirit to guide us through his will. We're all in need for maturity in the faith. If you're watching this and you feel like you want to know more about this God of love who came to forgive us our sins in love, then please get in contact with us. You can do that via the website. Um, our contact de details are on there. We'd love to chat through that with you and pray with you. But we would just like you to know this, that God has good plans for your life. He wants you to have life in all its fullness. So, let's be vigilant with our own sin. In love, let's discipline our children well. Children, obey your parents. Let's be gracious with those who sin against us, being forgiving, knowing that we have been forgiven much. Let's trust in the Lord's plans and his will, even when it feels uncomfortable. This really has been a season, hasn't it, where we've had to trust and learn to trust in God more. When things have been hard, and when things are getting harder, actually, it's important that we run to the Father, not away from him. And finally, let's be thankful for Jesus, who innocently died for our sin. I'm just going to pray to finish. Um, thank you for listening today. Um, we just want you to know that God loves you and he cares for you. Um, whatever situation you're in at the moment, whether you're enjoying yourself in lockdown or whether you're finding stuff really difficult, I want you to know that God loves you and he has good plans for you. Lord, we thank you that you discipline us. Lord, we thank you that you do that out of love and care for us in order to mature us. Lord, we pray that you would help us to lead our own lives well. 
pray that you would help us to discipline our children where that's relevant, Lord. I pray that you'd help those of us in leadership uh, to lead well to your example, God. Lord, we thank you for the way that you have shown your love towards us in dying on that cross for our sin. And Lord, we surrender our lives afresh to you today in obedience. God, we pray that you would lead us in that. Amen.